Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back, everybody, to Everyone Talks to Liz. I was thinking about this. I am a believer that everyone has one of these what if I came up with stories that are waiting to be told. You know, I'm talking about a business idea you just know would succeed. So what's the difference between the hundreds of millions of failed businesses and then the much smaller number who not only succeeded but crashed through the billion-dollar ceiling? My guest this week did that, but he almost blew it right before launching his business he almost shut it down. You know, there were a lot of difficulties, I'm sure. And then he's launching it, his wife's pregnant. He finally eventually lands the Holy Grail, Walmart as a customer. And then after a few months, he promptly loses Walmart as a customer. But somehow he held on. And yes, thank God he did, because today his company is massive and global and growing. What kept him from giving up like you may have felt, especially during this pandemic, He's here to share the secrets with you on how to hold on. Daniel Lubetsky is the founder of Kind. You know this company. This is the maker of the nuts and spices bars, the healthy eating snacks that today are sold in hundreds of thousands of stores and locations across the U.S. and the world. We welcome Daniel to Everyone Talks to Liz. Daniel, great to have you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Liz. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Wait, you almost gave up? Tell me that story. I didn't know that. There were more than one occasions when, <laughs> when I struggled, but uh, I think the, the most important one was literally right before we launched Kind. I had started a company called PeaceWorks right after law school, and I had been doing PeaceWorks for 10 years. And the, the concept of PeaceWorks was to bring neighbors together through business to get Israelis, Palestinians, Jordanians, Egyptians, Turks to trade with the American businesses as the bridge builders and the catalyst for showing Israel's neighbors they would be better to make peace with Israel rather than to fight and to make money together. And I had done ventures in other parts of the world, but with plenty of mistakes. And right as we conceived Kind, we had lost one major business. And I remember it was the year 2003. It was a very tough year personally for me too, because I'd lost my dad, who was my, my hero and best friend. And we literally went around the table, and it was on a big table. There were only six of us working at Peace Works at the time. And I said, guys, should we just throw in the towel? Because after 10 years of like two steps forward, two steps back, we were just struggling to make ends meet. I sometimes could not pay myself uh, a salary, and I barely edged by to pay my team members uh, salaries. And I really... I was exhausted and I asked my team, you know, maybe, you know, I will, each of us goes back to look for a job somewhere else. And we said, no, we need to do this. The idea is too good. And we need to uh, control our fates. The product that had been, had given us a lot of challenges was a line that we were importing, but we didn't control its fate. Mm. And we said, this time we are going to control our own fates. We're going to make sure that 
it's always natural and that it's always premium ingredients and that we're not going to cut corners and all the lessons from those prior 10 years we're going to apply here to do it right. And that's what we did and kind just totally took up, but nobody of us knew that that would happen. Well, isn't that the story of most businesses? You've got to take that leap of faith when you don't know how deep or how shallow the water is. You know, I know there are a lot of small business founders and owners, maybe some listening right now, who are barely hanging on. You're about to give them a few orders on why and how to dig in and hold on. But first, I want to go back, way back, to, to what formed the business leader that you are today. And for those of you who, who can maybe hear a little twang there, that's a Jewish-Mexican accent. <laughs> Daniel, how did that come to be? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Mexico City. I was uh, 15 and a half years old when I immigrated to America. I'm very, very blessed to be a U.S. citizen. My father, my story starts with my dad, who was liberated from the Holocaust, from a, the Dachau concentration camp by American soldiers. So I always have a very strong connection to the, uh, the armed forces who saved my dad and had not been for the sacrifices of American heroes, I would not be here today. And then he was 15 and a half when he was liberated from the Holocaust. I was 15 and a half when we moved my family to San Antonio, Texas, very different circumstances. And what else do you want me to tell you? Well, Confused I, Mexican Jew, raised in Mexico, then immigrated <laughs> to Texas. Confused. You're not confused. You're, you're blended. And that, I believe, probably gave you the ability to have a perspective and look through almost a kaleidoscope and see many different colors that some of us who grow up in one place and never get to experience anything else don't have. Well, I definitely do not take any of these things for granted. You know, the United States is an extraordinary country with all of the challenges that we face as a nation. It, I do still believe it's the land of opportunity. It is an exceptional nation. And I believe we need to not take it for granted. We need to protect our rule of law and our democracy and our freedoms and the respect that we have towards each other. We need to work really, really hard to listen to each other and to build bridges between uh, our fellow citizens. It's a very tough time for our country with the pandemic. And it's a tough time for entrepreneurs, like you were saying. And I think, I, I wanna first have the humility to say that I succeeded primarily because I'm very blessed and I'm very lucky. And the same guy that was knocking on doors day in, day out, and going literally door by door, store by store, you know, with my samples from the trunk of my car and crisscross the nation going store by store and struggling to just get enough orders in one day so that I could cover my costs. That's the same guy that I am now. And yes, I think I learned a lot and I think I do. I, I think I am a smart guy and I think I work extraordinarily hard, but there's a big element of, of just being there at the right time and, and just having the staying power and the grit and not giving up. And but luck has a lot to do with it. Anybody that doesn't think that luck has a lot to do with it, I say, well, how many people do you know that from scratch have started a company more than once that became a big success? And there's not that many, you know. There's extraordinary leaders like Jeff Bezos, who's built just an incredible empire, but it all started from Amazon. And I don't take anything away from him. He's one of the people that I most admire. 
but there's only a handful of people that have started from scratch in new industries and started and succeeded to build massive companies because it's it's hard. There's an element of luck, and um, and I think in terms of your earlier question about staying power, I think if you find something that gives you purpose yeah. and something that gives you meaning and something that you speak to yourself enough and you listen to yourself and you find this is what I'm meant to do. I really love this. That can give you a lot of staying power and it also can define your success because every day that you're doing it, you're doing something that gives you meaning. So you're already winning. Okay. I'm going to disagree with you on something, but I'm not the one who started a business. So I have to defer to you, but I hear your story. And by the way, I'm glad you brought up Jeff Bezos because he said something recently. I was studying up on him, especially because he had to testify before Congress about Amazon being a possible monopoly. And he said something that made me even further entrench in my belief that it is not luck, that it is stick-to-itiveness and persistence. He said in his statement to Congress that there was a point where in the early, early days of Amazon, he was carrying very heavy boxes of books to the U.S. post office. And he thought to himself, one day, maybe we'll be successful enough to buy a single forklift. This whole belief, I think, um, that if you put one foot in front of another, you cannot, you cannot beat a man or a woman who just won't quit. First of all, Jeff Bezos is one of the smartest people I've ever met. I've talked to him a few times. Mm-hmm. He's got, even with all his success, enough humility to acknowledge mistakes and to listen to people and to try to build those bridges. He's extraordinarily strategic. He's extraordinarily hardworking. I don't take that away from him or anybody else. Of course, those are prerequisites. If you're not, if you're just going to complain about the other person and you're not going to give it everything you've got, then you have no chance. But even if you give it everything you've got, and even if you're smart, and even if you're strategic, and even if you have all of this grit and stamina, there is fortune and luck and yeah. being there at the right time that helps you propel. Because uh, I was the same person when I was running PeaceWorks, and yeah, I hadn't developed all the lessons, but then I, I had this idea for, oh, people would like to eat helpful snacks and feel good about themselves when they're eating something that's delicious, but also wholesome. And yes, it, I was able to see that because I had those 10 years of prior mistakes. And Jeff saw, saw and executed a vision like nobody else in terms of what Amazon could become. So yes, you have, when you're able to see things that others can't see, that's a very, very big blessing. And when you're able to have that creativity to execute and out execute and that grit and that work ethic that you mentioned, those are all great ingredients. But I do think that even if you ask Jeff, he would say, yes, of course, there's an element of being there at the right time. Maybe I'll get a chance one day. He doesn't do too many interviews. Uh, we'll, we'll work on that for Everyone Talks to Liz. But Daniel, I want to know why you went into the snack food business, healthy snack food business versus actually being a diplomat. I mean, this whole PeaceWorks process to me indicates that you had a brilliant concept. When you really think about it, trying to match together adversaries with the common goal of business and financial success. Yeah. You could have been a diplomat. Why not? Well, I actually, when I went to law school, I wrote on my uh, application that I wanted to 
become a, a to negotiate an end to the Arab-Israeli conflict, and that's a very big passion of mine to try to build peace for Israel and its neighbors. And um, the reason I veered into business is that I discovered the power of market forces, because the power of business is that you can have scalable, sustainable growth. Mm -hmm. And if you find a way in an authentic way in your business model to not just advance your financial objectives, but also to accomplish something with a social impact, such as bringing neighbors together as they're making those sundry tomato spreads, so too are the shattered stereotypes, cementing relationship with each other. How powerful is it that then you're able to both grow and create profitable businesses, but also be bringing those people together. And so I fell in love with the power of the economics of peacemaking and the power of the free market forces and the, the potential of harnessing that incredible energy of the free market and then being able to create a business model where you can both advance those uh, market objectives and uh, an additional civic goal that you might have. In the case of kind, it's helpful eating, giving people in products that are going to make them live their lives longer and better because they're eating healthful ingredients with nutritionally dense ingredients, uh, while also fostering kindness and, 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 and doing the kind thing for your body, for your taste buds, and for your world. And it's not always the case that you can solve social challenges through business, but whenever you're able to, you have the ability to continue scaling up without having to pass the hat around you know, for the nations. There's a few charities that I've started in my life and I'm very proud of them. And there's a lot of meaning that I get from doing oh, good yes. for But it's much harder because every year you have to sustain them by either donating money or raising money from others. Whereas with business, you're able to, to scale up yeah. in a sustainable way if you're not effective business. Well, unless unless you're a total psycho, when, when you really hit it big, you make all of this money, what good is it if you can't somehow improve the world? It reminds me of Eitan Wertheimer of Iskar. This is the one Israeli company Warren Buffett ever bought outright. Eitan and his father, Steph, had founded it. It's, it's, a, it's a company that makes drill bits. I mean, it's really yeah. industrial. But they had turned around and taken their money and started the Tefan Industrial Complex. I've been there to visit. And it helps Palestinians and Druze. It gives them locations to start businesses, whether it's soap making or candles or, or clothing. And, and it's I really a great see, company. And Steph is also just an incredible leader. Oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. In fact, uh, Buffett says um, that the South Koreans and the Israelis are the smartest people he has ever bought businesses from. Let me just touch upon actual nuts and bolts, so to speak, nuts of the kind business. Who made the first bar? How did that come about? So we first started importing from Australia. In Australia, they had Fruit Nut Bars before. And when I encountered Fruit Nut Bars, I fell in love with them because I'm like, I had been crisscrossing America selling our sundry tomato spreads through cooperation between Arabs and Israelis, but searching for a snack that I could feel good about. Earlier you asked, how the hell did you get into snack? I told you about <laughs> di diplomacy. What I didn't tell you is that through PeaceWorks, I ended up learning the food business. And after 10 years of mistakes and lessons, I kind of had understood how the food business works. 
And I felt that there was a huge need because when I was going around skipping lunch or dinner, working long hours, and I needed a snack to feel good about it, or when I was going across the nation, selling our products across Akron, Ohio, or Wisconsin, or anywhere, um, I, I'd feel hungry and I would go into the convenience store, or the corner store, even the natural store, and the options were either stuff that looked like astronaut food, or too indulgent, or tasted like cardboard, or I just didn't find something wholesome. Chemicals. And I came across a predecessor of a kind by, uh, in, in Australia, they have a lot of fruit nut bars, and I fell in love with them. And we ended up creating a, what I consider a far, far, far superior, like a 2.0 or 3.0 version of the earlier products that I had, because those earlier products still had like sorbitol and had uh, artificial ingredients and had, um, they had fruits and nuts, but they also had a lot of sugar and stuff. So we created one that was the number one ingredient in everything we make. That's the mantra of kind, the kind promise is that the number one ingredient in everything we make has to lead with nutrient-dense ingredients that are going to nourish your body. So in this case, it's predominantly almonds are our number one ingredient. And then they are bound together with a little bit of honey and a little bit of glucose. And then depending on the flavor, there might be uh, chocolate or there might be cinnamon or there might be other things. But that's how it started. Yep. Dark chocolate, sea salt. That's mine. The almond sea salt. Dark chocolate, nuts and sea salt. Do you know what's the number one item in all of Amazon's history, in the entire grocery space of all the food items with the most lifetime sales? Tell me. The kind dark chocolate, nuts and sea salt. Oh, I thought I was original. Darn. I love being the one who who zags where everybody else zigs, but I can see why. Yeah, exactly. Although I do like the caramel one too. Um, I, I look at these these snacks and and the success that you've you've found with them, and I have to believe that you have been through tough times after you started to succeed. I want to hear about the first time you landed Walmart and how you lost that account. What happened? Before I tell you about that. I've just got struck when you were talking about caramel. I need to tell you very quickly. My former president of Kind, his name is John Leahy. He's a very dear friend. He's actually a big fan of yours and he watches your show. And um, John, when we came up with it, his son actually worked with us, John David, and he came up with the idea for the caramel almond sea salt, which I was very excited about. But I'm like, okay, that's good. Let's do it. And John's like, you don't understand. This is going to become one of our top sellers. And I'm like, John, it's a great product, but it's not going to rival dark chocolate nuts and sea like Daniel, you don't understand. Americans love caramel. Today, they're like this. Dark chocolate nuts and sea is the number one. Caramel is the number two. And so uh, John had one right. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm a caramel girl myself. Caramel with dark chocolate or nuts, and, I will And only that. five grams of sugar, by the way, in an entire 40-gram bar, it's only a teaspoon worth of sugar. And two grams of those five come from the almonds themselves. So mm-hmm. really a modicum of just a little bit of honey and chicory root fiber and a little bit of um, uh, glucose to, to bind it together. But it's, it's a really helpful product. They're a very low glycemic index, which means that when you eat it, the sugar levels don't spike up in your body. And that's why it keeps you full longer. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? 
Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. I wanted to talk about Walmart because, first of all, I don't really see Walmart as a gutsy, let's take the chance on the little guy type of business. But you landed them and then you lost them. I want to hear about that because you ended up scratching back that relationship and are in every Walmart today. Well, first of all, uh, Walmart's different from the old Walmart. Walmart is much more entrepreneurial today. They're very, very uh, assertive and they're really, really uh, a testament of American entrepreneurialism because they see where they need to go and they go there. And they're really much more on the cutting edge than they were 15, 20 years ago, for sure, really are among the best in class. And um, when they a buyer came to us, and this is kind of like the interesting story is, Sometimes someone that's trying to do you a favor may not do you a favor intentionally. There was a buyer that loved Kindverse and she wanted us on board, and we didn't have the systems. We were it was early in our years. I don't remember in my book I mentioned it, but it must have been you know maybe two thousand and eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. Seven. Seven. So it was only three, four years after we had launched Kind, and it was not sufficiently well known. But the buyer loved them, and she gave us a shot. And we didn't know how to fulfill. We didn't know how to make sure that we stay on the shelves. The product was staying in the back office, in the, you know, in the warehouse. There wasn't being properly merchandised. People didn't know what it was. They didn't discover it. And, and, and we, we lost the business. And then uh, John Leahy comes into the scene. We hire him. He's an incredible partner. And I'm like, okay, John, you need to bring Walmart back. And he says, yes, I'm going to, but just we're not ready yet. And this is timing is very important. We built the systems and we built the systems for us to track the sales and we built a couple other things we needed to build for us to be strong and ready. And then we did it the right way and he put a team in place that understood the customer. And uh, today we have our head of sales named Doug Behrens who brought Jim Duddleston and Zach Adcock to manage our Walmart business. And they are, it's incredible. You know what I love about Kind is attracting each time people that are smarter than me and better than me and what they do and learning from them every day how to do things better. And just the way we manage our Walmart business today is so much better than the way we managed it two years ago, which is better than the third. And, you know, since John Leahy got us back in, we, we haven't just stayed, we've flourished. We, we've uh, grown really nicely with them and they've supported us a lot and they've given us 
opportunity to pioneer mm, stock in Astos. And we're very blessed with all of our partners, Target, Walmart, Whole Foods, Amazon, Kroger, Wag, Wegmans, HEB, like you name it. We're very, very blessed. Costco, all, all across the nation, we're very blessed to develop deep, long-term relationships. I hope our, our listeners today have listened to the Beekman story, Beekman 1802, because those guys founded a goat milk soap conglomerate out of nothing. Uh, They had both lost their jobs during the financial crisis and the housing market bubble bursting. And they were left with a bunch of goats on their property that they had rented out to some goat farmer in northern upstate New York. And they got somehow the attention of Oprah who wanted to use them as one of their favorite, uh, one of her favorite things. And they said no, because they knew they weren't ready. And learning to say no and putting things off till you are ready is, is an extremely valuable story that I feel like you learned from that experience you know, with Walmart. For us entrepreneurs, it's close to impossible to say no. So mm-hmm. I have a little bit, a, a trick that I can share with your listeners and with yes. For what I do, I never say no because it's too hard for an entrepreneur to say no. I say not now. Mm. I not that's yet. what they said. Not now. We're anything, not ready. anything that I want to do, saying no is too difficult. It's too painful. But I say okay later, and I, I have a list of things to pursue later. But before I pursue those things, I need to first get through all of these. And that's the best way for an entrepreneur to stay focused is to separate the things you need to do right now, and then. Keep your list. Don't. It's there. You're going to get to it, but get to it when you're ready. Totally agree. And in the end, when you look at your success today, I want to go back to something you said at the start in just a minute. But first, you just gave a little bit of a trick to entrepreneurs. I need you to give them hope and guidance and a map right now on how not to let go. Many of them are hanging on by their fingernails or the skin of their teeth, as we like to say in America. Tell me what advice you would give business business. owners. Picture this. It's 2003. And I literally cannot pay for three meals a day. I, I cannot. I have to like get something that's big enough so I can make it with two meals a day. And, you know, I could have reached to my parents to help me, but I, I had pride and I wanted to be able to make it on my own. Uh, so we are like hanging in by tooth and nail. We're, we're really struggling to make payroll meet. And I've lost my father, who was my mentor, my best friend. And I'm kind of like sad and depressed. Who would have pictured we were this far away from throwing in the towel? And who would have known that if we had given a shot, which we did give a shot, things would happen the way that they happened. Like we went from on the brink of bankruptcy and, and misery to becoming one of the fastest growing companies. Three years in a row, we were named the fastest growing company in the United States economy by BCG for companies between a hundred and a billion dollars in sales. We're now responsible for thousands of jobs. We are valued in the many billions. And it's all thanks to team members that joined to believe and fulfill the vision of kind. And to to your point earlier, greed and perseverance and not giving up. 
And yet we're dealing with something nobody's ever dealt with, at least not in this generation. And that's the pandemic, where there are lockdowns and closures through no fault of any hugely successful, small or medium size or even big business. They've had the rug ripped out from under them. What do they do, Daniel? Yeah. So I think you need to uh, think very critically during these times. You need to understand because there are some businesses that are benefiting during this time because people are staying at home and the mm-hmm. patterns are changing. So I was reading yesterday or the day before yesterday that Walmart said that on any given day, 20 million people used to go fishing. Now it's 35 million people. So different industries are actually benefiting from it. You have to think critically and listen carefully to the to the marketplace and see if there's new opportunities because mm-hmm. with all this disruption, there's also a lot of opportunities. If you have your own business and you are committed to that business and you don't want to pivot, you need to think critically whether there are new ways that you can reach your consumers, going online, going to their homes, delivering stuff, given the new patterns of behavior. Uh, there are trends that are not going away even after the pandemic, right? The, the, the move to more and more sales happening online is not, the genie is not going to get back into the bottle. I think brick and mortar sales will continue, you know, to be important, but online is going to also grow. So you need to factor things that are going to be trends, not fads, because you don't want to do something that's just good for the next We don't know if it's three months, six months, a year, two years that the pandemic is sadly going to be with us, but we know it's, there will, the sun will rise and there will be another day. And so we need to prepare for that and we need to start executing with that plan in mind. And in some cases, it's just about staying power. And in some cases you want to, you know, drive faster and invest when there's momentum, when the time is right. But in some cases, and I've had a lot of friends that I've been talking to where as I think about their business, what they need to do is just hang in there and just stay. It's not the right thing for all businesses to try to expand during this environment. You need to think very carefully and very critically. Um, One of the things that I talked about recently that resonated with people is that in general, playbooks are not how you should build your business because the cool thing about the playbooks is that nobody has seen those plays before, so you can do something around them. But the minute you're copying somebody else's playbook, then it's already been done, then it's probably already not as innovative, and it's probably not going to be as differentiated. So you need to create your own playbook. What you really do need to hang on to is not the playbook, but the toolkit. You need to try to think about what are the values and skill sets that are going to help you win. And that includes being creative, the grit that you were talking about, um, making sure that you're thinking critically and that you're listening to yourself and taking the feedback and then learning from that feedback. You mentioned twice now, and it struck me right in the heart because I say the same thing about my dad. My dad was my best friend, but more importantly, my dad was my shining light, my North Star. He was the one who took chances in life and told me, take a shot. It's okay. Glory goes to those who take chances in life. Don't fear it. And you talk about your dad. Your dad was a survivor, not just of a concentration camp during the Holocaust, 
but of Dachau. And for those of you who don't know, Dachau was one of the most murderous concentration camps. 41,000 plus people were murdered there by the Nazis. It was founded by Heinrich Himmler, the architect of the Holocaust, the darkest concept of humanity. I hate to even pair the word humanity with that, but I think people know what they what I mean. Your dad survived that. At what age did you begin to realize what your father had been through and how did it shape you and who you are today? First of all, the thing that you said about humanity, I think it's it's the right word because there's a quote that I really like from Rabbi Hillel that says, in a place where there's no humanity, strive thou to be human. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really important that when there is darkness, you make sure that you bring that light. And particularly when those moments are so toxic that you be a positive citizen building bridges with each other and, and trying to bring light to your neighbors and to those left behind and to help others. My dad started talking to me about this when I was nine years old. And I remember that I was nine because my mom said, Roman, what are you doing talking to your son about this stuff? He's only nine years old. And he turned to her and he said, Sonia, he's nine years old and he needs to hear it. I was nine years old when I needed to live through it. Mm. And so it definitely marked me because hearing the stuff that he went through was hard. And uh, for a child, it's probably, you know, traumatic. But it also is the way he told me about his experience that made me have the attitude that I have about life because he had a rare skill of not forgetting the horrors, but also not forgetting positive aspects of it. You know, he, this company is named Kind in his honor because he was the kindest man out there and because he remembered that he survived because of the kindness of others, because of the kindness of those American soldiers uh-huh. that had never met him, that flew or traveled thousands of miles across the ocean to rescue people that they had never met, the courage and the sacrifice that, that they made to, to save an entire continent. Uh, but even the kindness of people that were not so nice. There was a German soldier that when people were not watching, threw a potato by my dad's feet. There were other people in my dad's life who were actually not nice people, but that when the time came, they rose up and showed some kindness to him. And so I think uh, your word about humanity is the right word because we really need to remember right now that there's so much division in our country and across the world, right now that there's so much polarization, and so much partisanship, we need to find a way to not allow anybody to divide us or to polarize us and to, to find a way to forge common ground, even in spite of our differences. I will never eat another kind bar in the same way. Now that I know it was named in honor of your dad, I am so thrilled that you're here to tell our listeners this story and give them so generously the advice that I know so many people need right now. Daniel, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. I appreciate your time and your listeners' time, and I wish everybody health and and well-being. Daniel Lobetsky, founder of KIND. On behalf of my producer, Tanya Joseph, and the Fox News podcast team, what a story. We are so grateful that you shared it with us. In the meantime, I hope you share your time with me Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network. It's the Claimant Countdown. If you haven't got enough of me, 
and I and I know you haven't. I mean, who who has? <laughs> I'll see you every single day for the final all important hour of trade. See you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.